0: We're more than a month into adult use cannabis sales, and the state's Cannabis Control Division has reported more than $40 million in combined medical and recreational use cannabis sales. But over the past couple of years, Growing Forward has heard about
1: how expensive it can be to start a cannabis company. I wanna say that it's predatory. It's unfortunate that the cannabis industry is frowned upon in the way that it is, but because of the federal designation, banks don't wanna mess with it.
2: The amount of misinformation and disinformation that is out there regarding ability to bank cannabis businesses is more than the correct information that's out there.
3: This is an important industry to the state from a growth perspective. and It's important to the state.
4: This is Growing Forward, a collaborative podcast between New Mexico Political Report and New Mexico PBS, all about cannabis in New Mexico. I'm Andy Lyman with New Mexico Political Report.
0: I'm Megan Kamrick, a New Mexico PBS correspondent and news director at KUNM Public Radio.
4: Grow lights, utility bills, rent, and other costs of doing business can really add up quickly, especially for smaller companies that are just starting to dip their toes in the market. We've been following Carver Family Farm, a cannabis micro-producer, from its beginning stages. Matt Munoz, the Chief Innovation and Finance Officer for Carver Family Farm, said they've already sunk quite a bit of money into the business. I think the last time we spoke with you, I believe the, figure, the estimated figure you had was about like half a million dollars, maybe a little bit more. How much
1: money went into just starting the business? So we raised $350,000 from private investors and that all went into the business. And Erica, Andrew, and I, all loan the money loan extra money to the company as well we talked to you and numerous other people
4: about this but can you talk a little bit about the limitations in traditional funding you know business loans that kind of stuff what you experienced
1: there is none like there's absolutely no traditional funding in this environment you can't go to a bank even though we have a cannabis bank they don't do any type of lending to cannabis businesses and so there's not a mechanism for people who don't you know we scraped this together with friends and family, basically. And uh, yeah, there's not a mechanism outside of that.
0: In an earlier episode this season, we visited a cannabis testing lab in Albuquerque. During that visit, we were both very surprised to learn that Rio Grande Analytics co-founder Barry Dungan couldn't secure a traditional mortgage for his home because of his stake in the business.
4: You mentioned this to us before when we were here that even owning a cannabis testing lab prohibits you specifically from getting a traditional home mortgage,
1: right? When you all move of to those Albuquerque. Kind of yeah, it's it's really interesting how uh, that did works. happen? Yeah. Uh, I used a different source of financing.
0: Really? You couldn't get a mortgage.
1: I can, but it's a much higher rate than traditional. The cannabis stuff, it'll be interesting to see how all of this rolls out because I'm I'm on a much different side and I'm biased, but I wanna say that it's predatory. I mean the the rates that we get are it's unfortunate that the cannabis industry is frowned upon in the way that it is because it's medical in almost half of the states in the U.S. and will most likely be across the U.S. very soon. Uh, but because of the federal designation, banks don't want to mess with it. and that in turn causes all of us, where our money comes from the cannabis industry, to have to adhere to a little bit different rules than everybody else.
4: That whole thing's sort of mind blowing, especially for a testing lab, considering that generally you're making everything, you're rendering everything useless to- Yeah, we
1: don't manufacture anything here. We don't sell anything here. We are a state licensed compliance lab for public health and safety, but we're still working with a schedule one narcotic, federally, and because of that, we cannot bank traditionally.
0: better understand why cannabis banking is so complicated, we spoke with Lonnie Talbert, the Division Director of Specialty Banking with First Federal Bank in Florida. Listeners may remember Lonnie from one of our episodes last year. At that time, he was the president and CEO of the New Mexico-based Southwest Capital Bank. If you follow New Mexico politics, you may also know him as a former Bernalillo County Commissioner.
4: Since we last talked to Lonnie, he and his wife moved to Jacksonville, Florida, where he still works in cannabis banking. He told us that there is a widespread misunderstanding when it comes to cannabis banking.
2: The amount of misinformation and disinformation that is out there regarding, you know, the, the ability to bank cannabis customers, cannabis businesses is is more than the correct information that's out there. So...
4: Lonnie cited a memo from former U.S. Here's Deputy Attorney General James Cole, which is commonly referred to as the Cole Memo, as sort of a path for banks to legally open accounts for cannabis businesses.
2: He said, listen, we know that a number of states have legalized cannabis in some form, whether it be medicinal and or adult use or both. And so if, if you're going to do that, uh, here are some guidelines you should follow. And, and we as the federal government will not fund law enforcement at any level in order to, to sort of prosecute you in that regard. Uh, we'll just try to keep it, you know, arm's length and, and as long as you're compliant. At the same time, FinCEN, which is the financial services arm of the treasury, came out with some guidance as well that said, hey, you've got to do this, you got to do that, you, you've got to file all this paperwork and you've got to make sure you're monitoring very closely the activity. And so that sort of opened the door for banks if they chose to bank the industry. Now, it came down to the bank's choice. Did the bank's board of directors or owners or however they were structured want to take that risk? And a number have said they will. And the good news is for most who have followed the guidance, followed the program, and who have done it the right way, like not made it a hobby, but fully integrated themselves into making sure they bank cannabis correctly, have not had any problems, have not been uh, cited, have not been closed. The ones that have, we're not doing it the right way.
0: Of course, opening checking accounts for cannabis businesses is different from issuing loans or mortgages. But Lonnie says there's some misinformation there too. Well, sort of.
4: I was sort of under the impression, and I'm sure the same is true for you, Megan, that traditional financial institutions avoided loaning money to cannabis businesses purely because cannabis is still federally illegal.
0: According to Lonnie, that means the issue of federal legality only plays a part because there's still a risk that these companies' assets could be seized by the federal government.
2: Taking deposits is the first step, right? So if you you take deposits, you put in a an incredibly strong uh, BSA AML program, correct due diligence, uh, enhanced due diligence, know your customer, CIP, all of those terms banks use to validate who their customers are and validate the transaction and the use of money. Uh, then you, you put in the foundation and the framework for a really strong program to move forward in terms of helping those businesses with standard business banking. And, and oh, by the way, and when you do that, if the worst case were to happen, and uh, let's say you did something wrong and they seized that account, or the customer you opened it for did something wrong and they seized that account. Typically, you know, you're talking maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe maybe even more, but they seize the asset and a bank has a lot of deposits. So that's not their only source of funds or their only, that, that's not their own account. But in lending, if you make a loan and that loan goes bad or that loan is seized or something that property seized, the bank is forced to classify that asset immediately which could have a very negative impact depending on the size on the bank's capital and so the bank has to feel very comfortable that they're underwriting those credits extremely strong and with extremely aggressive loan to values so that in the event that the asset were to go bad and be seized or to have problems that the bank could recover what it invested in that loan and so That's a lot more and a lot harder to navigate, if you will, for any bank or credit union. There are a number who are starting to try to get into that space and states like New Mexico are trying to help, but it still is a a slippery slope simply because the opportunity for something bad in a a piece of real estate, regardless of the environment, um, is always greater um, and a more a more stringent capital requirement than, than a deposit account for a single customer.
4: So we're, we're obviously talking about the misconceptions of banking and cannabis. It sounds like what you're saying is maybe there's another misconception there. I've always sort of assumed it was the federally insured part of it that banks don't want to get involved with it because it's federally illegal, but you're saying it's just a higher risk for- Yeah, for-
2: it, it, It's it's typically a higher risk. It's a higher risk profile because it's cash intensive as we talked about. But at the end of the day, you know, risk is risk, and it's up to the bank to decide. Now, banks by nature are risk adverse. I mean, I happened to work for when I went to work for Greg Levinson at Southwest Capital, a bank that at the time was willing to calculate its risks and, and say, does this make sense and can help the industry? So at the end of the day, you know, whatever a bank decides to do, it's, it's based on their overall risk profile and how comfortable they are taking high-risk activity. And so I think the best lesson we all can learn is don't always just listen to the first clickbait thing you see about a particular topic. Go out and research it a little bit because I will tell you, there are a lot of people out there who have a lot of knowledge and can help you if you are interested in those particular types of products, navigate it.
4: As for people like Barry from Rio Grande Analytics who had to find other ways to purchase a home, Lonnie says as backwards as it sounds, many banks are still steering clear of that cannabis money.
2: You know, Andy, it's totally true. If you were to go to a a traditional mortgage lender or a traditional bank or credit union who isn't active in the space and hasn't put together a program for cannabis employees, then as soon as they hear that you work for a cannabis company, all bets are off. They say no, because again, they have not chosen to want to be in the space. They have not chosen to want to make, you know, these type of risky transactions. I heard a story that a, a money center bank, there was a, a political candidate who she came out and said, I'm pro cannabis. And just because she said that, they closed her account. So, oh, wow! I mean, it, it's so archaic And, you know, these are all businesses who, you know, are making lots of money and and providing jobs and economic development to communities. And to say that, you know, the bud tender or the agricultural plant doctor, you know, the PhD who's a scientist, just because they're working with a, a plant, that's illegal, granted, okay, but that they don't deserve the same services as we do who don't. I think that's crazy. I think, again, that's small-minded thinking. Now, the hope is that legislation like the SAFE Act or the Moore Act or whatever you want to call it, you know, Schumer's Act, there's all these different acts, that that will help alleviate some of the either pressure or mystique around what banks and credit unions and credit card companies and mortgage companies can do. But I don't see it as a panacea. I think it really still comes down to whether or not the institution is comfortable navigating the cannabis space.
0: We anticipated my question, the U.S. House of Representatives has passed the Safe Banking Act numerous times, which would keep federal regulators from penalizing banks that work with cannabis businesses, but it has never passed the Senate. Now there's a push to add banking reform to any national cannabis bill following a spate of robberies in some states that have legalized recreational cannabis. But what do you think needs to happen at the federal level?
2: Well, I mean, Megan, you see what's going on right now. Our, our country is so polarized. And, you know, I'm sorry, career politicians, whether it be in the Senate, which is probably the most senior career politicians in our country, they all have their own agendas. And what ends up happening is rather than saying, hey, let's stay focused on a safe banking act or a bill that will you know, provide safe haven, safe harbor, if you will, Uh, they add on all this other stuff and they, they start watering it down so much that everyone can't get on board with it because again, they're saying, well, I'm not going to do that for ex-senator because, you know, that's going to hurt my state and I'm giving them more. And I mean, we see it all the time with all kinds of bills that are passed. And so I think cannabis is no different. There, there hasn't been yet a strong enough personality or a strong enough Uh, groundswell, okay, of support that they're willing to override and and overwhelm, if you will, the the negative votes and the negative parts. But now that we're coming up on a midterm election and we have all these social things going on around us, Speaker Schumer has said, oh, we're going to try something in August. Well, I suspect it won't happen in August. It may happen in August in two years, but then something else will come up. So I'm always hopeful and optimistic, but until we fix our political system around the way it works, which isn't going to happen anytime soon, it's hard to trust that it's going to work for the banking industry at any point in time.
0: I mean, in the past, Schumer has said instead of dealing with banking and cannabis, like let's wait till we have a federal bill legalizing cannabis. I mean, do you think we need to do that or should we Address the banking issue.
2: So you know how you can fix meal. it? You can fix it by the DEA can just deschedule, make it a schedule two or a schedule three drug versus a schedule one drug. And guess what? It's hmm. off the list. The, the reason it's federally illegal is because it's a schedule one drug. And if you at least get it off there, you now all of a sudden, although that's not the perfect option either, because they did that with hemp, and hemp is still having challenges because there's no testing regimen that people are comfortable with. And there's no banking that's been put up as, hey, here's the best program either. So it it really is about, you know, a combined effort. But you nailed it when you said, you know, they want to make safe banking part of banking reform, which, you know, we got to fix all these other things. And unfortunately, when we see that happening, what we see is gridlock.
0: With limited options for financing, some businesses
2: are turning to less traditional options. So whenever traditional capital resource opportunities don't provide themselves or or don't present themselves, people look for ways to get money. So you talk about friends and family, right? A lot of people will bootstrap and go to friends and family. You've heard of hard money lenders. So those are typically individuals who say, I have a lot of money I wanna lend it to you, but I'm gonna charge you a lot of money. I'm gonna make the terms very short. So I'll lend you $20,000 for six months at you know 15% because you know they have it available and they'll do that. So a lot of the, the cannabis industry has had to rely on that kind of financing because if you can't get your capital, if, if, you, if you exhaust friends and family and you exhaust your own bank accounts, you gotta find money somewhere, right? You can try to get more investors, but sometimes you know they're they're waiting till they see a return. So friends and family, hard money lenders, and then just non-traditional financing sources, companies that aren't hard money, but are more financial companies, not necessarily banks or credit unions, that just wanna be in the space and want to help legitimize and, and provide capital to this industry. And what you're seeing right now is a large amount of real estate investment trusts that are doing sale leasebacks with a lot of the large cannabis companies. You're seeing senior secured debt being provided to the large multi-state operators. And so every day it's getting a little more loose because if you talk to a multi-state operator who's making revenues of a billion dollars a year, okay? That's corporate finance. That's not commercial banking. That is corporate banking. And that takes a special skill. And those companies are publicly traded, whether they be in Canada or over the counter here in the US. And so the requirements for them to have to provide financials that are true and accurate and audited, that's what the SEC requires.
4: While we may have to wait a while for the feds, New Mexico has taken somewhat of a preemptive leap in creating its own loan program, specifically for small cannabis businesses.
0: In late 2021, state legislators and the New Mexico Finance Authority Board of Directors approved a unique approach to financially help certain cannabis businesses, specifically those that are limited to 200 plants or cannabis micro-businesses.
3: My name is Marquita Russell, and I'm the CEO of the New Mexico Finance Authority. Um, New Mexico Finance Authority is a state instrumentality or government instrumentality that finances uh, public projects and economic development in New Mexico. So we're created by state statute but we're not, I'm not a state employee. We're not part of the state budgeted system. The cannabis micro business program is, it's intended to help the micro business licensed organizations with funding some startup and operational costs that come with starting a business. So anything from paying rent to paying salaries, buying security systems, helping to, you know, put out marketing, that kind of thing. So it is it's all those costs associated with the startup of a business. The genesis of this program was a call that I received from regulations and licensing superintendent, Linda Trujillo, who was trying to figure out how to get her arms around the equity requirements that the Cannabis Regulation Act had as a part. Um, It was important to her that there be ways to serve those communities and serve those businesses that met those equity targets. So we just started having a conversation and idea of the program came as a result of that conversation. So it did not start at our board level. It did not start at our oversight committee level. We were able to convince them that this was a worthy goal for the $5 million that we did not ultimately use in the essential services program. These are at its very core underserved businesses. Their startup, and they are in fact underbanked. Their the banks aren't serving them. So by its very nature, this is this is part of our mission: is helping underserved communities, underserved populations, underserved businesses access capital.
0: How many uh, applications have you received so far?
3: So let me see. This is a very new program for us, and it is kind of a pilot program. We dedicated five million dollars of our funding. So we had money set aside for another purpose um, that came from our operations that we ultimately did not need. So we're putting it towards cannabis. So we have a limited program. We have, uh, since we opened the system at the beginning of April, we have 20 that have been started, 20 applications, and I think 13 have hit submit That does not mean they're full and submitted and ready to go. One has already been approved. That was last week. And we are working through the other 12 to make them complete applications.
4: Here's Marquita with a brief summary of how the finance authority has that money to issue loans for those cannabis businesses.
3: From the statewide economic development finance act, which is the act that governs the economic development revolving fund. We're able to partner with banks in loan participations to help companies. Some of those are startups. Some of those are expansion projects. But in that instance, we're buying a portion of the bank's loan. The money that we're using, this $5 million, was part of the program that we made available for essential service providers during the pandemic. So very early on in the pandemic, the um, some of the programs that were available were not available to all the folks that needed them, not to all our rural hospitals or some of our larger medical providers or childcare uh, centers. So early on, we saw a gap in funding. And so we put aside $12 million to fund these essential service providers. And these were short-term loans, again, up to five years, um, very similar interest rate that we are charging on the uh, cannabis program. And ultimately we did not need all those money. So 5 million is then being switched over for solely the purpose of cannabis. So we've done some direct lending in the past, again, Generally, our goal is for expansion of businesses or community service providers. um, And this one is very specific to the cannabis industry.
0: Uh, You mentioned the interest rate. What is the interest rate on the loans?
3: So the interest rate is if the loan is less than three years or less than $100,000, then it's 2% interest. If it's greater than three years or more than $100,000, then it's. 3%. So it's either 2% or 3% interest, and the loans can ultimately be no longer than five years.
0: Is there a cap on the amount people can borrow? Uh,
3: Yes, the cap is um, $250,000.
0: Are you looking to other states that have legalized cannabis for models on how to do this, or is this very unusual? Is anyone else doing this?
3: So we've reached out to see if there's any other kind of government supported micro business loan, and we've not found one yet that doesn't mean they don't exist that just means they haven't hit the headlines. Um, But we have looked at other states that have legalized uh, cannabis and you know there have been credit tools that have popped up around them, but they're from for profits and they're looking for a higher interest rate and they're probably less interested in some uh, taking some of the risks that we're taking. Again, we're taking them for very specific reasons. There's expected to be for a lot of underserved communities and poor communities a lot of tax generation this is a, an important industry to the state from a growth perspective and it's important to the state um, so there I think over time you would see some of those same credit providers coming into New Mexico you see them in Colorado you can google cannabis loans in Colorado and find some for-profit lenders willing to um, that aren't banks, they're not federally regulated or insured um, that are making these loans, but they're making them at higher interest rates and they're taking Mm -hmm. very different forms of collateral.
0: Yeah, we were, Andy and I were talking about this after one of our field interviews. And when you operate outside, whatever you want to call it, the mainstream financial instruments in our society, there's usually a steep price to pay for that. So this is a very interesting niche.
3: Well the finance authority isn't profit motivated right mm-hmm. so we don't have a need from that we're not taking what we believe to be unacceptable risk the you know we've bought off on the risk of cannabis we've and that industry and we are mitigating those risks in every way that we can and so then the issue is we have startup businesses are these folks ready to run a business there's a lot related to running a business, paying your taxes is very complicated, and you start to add in these excise taxes and other things. So we want to make sure they understand the precise nature of the cannabis industry, which is a specific niche in and of itself, and understand how to run a business. So there's a lot here, but we're not here for profit. We're here to see that New Mexico businesses are offered an opportunity to grow and become a part of the community.
0: You, you guys, as you mentioned, take a much higher percentage of collateral in your loans, but I'm assuming you'd really rather have repayment rather than fill in the blank whatever equipment someone has in a cannabis operation um, to go sell that to <laughs>
3: recoup <Right>. your investment. <laughs> We consider ourselves cash flow lenders, so we have to be collateralized um, of the rules of the program that were both approved by our Finance Authority Board of Directors, which is who I report to and who approves all the loans. Um, Also, the rules also have to be approved by our Oversight Committee, which is what we saw last October, or sorry, they saw them first in October, and I think they finally approved them at the end of November, but those rules require that they be fully collateralized. Um, And so, you know, we're cash flow lenders, but they do have to be fully collateralized. We understand that at the time you make a loan, the collateral may have a certain value. And when you go to collect on a loan, it may have a different value. So we are really very much focused on how they're going to generate revenue and whether they understand kind of the um, ins and outs of the specific industry, which will cause fluctuations in their revenue stream. So that's that's the rigor of the application is designed around the fact that we don't really have collateral that you can go sell and make ourselves whole in the event that the loan uh, goes sideways
4: i'm sure the finance authority does not want to get in the business of selling off grow lights or, or soil or uh, anything like that to recoup finances right that's correct
0: marquita said it's still too early to say whether this program can continue into the future or to say mission accomplished
3: just got started. So I'm not in the bragging phase and, you know, it'll be a couple of years before we're able to see, you know, how successful this, mo- this model was. We've been very happy with the partnership that the cannabis uh, control division has provided us. So we have entered into a uh, memorandum of agreement with them for information sharing so that we can keep our finger on a pulse of how the businesses are doing. Cause again, they're up for annual renewal. Um, so they've been very helpful. They've got a lot on their plate, I've started large scale applications that are expected to be high volume. It's difficult and they had to do it in a brand new industry. So my hat's off to them. They've done a very good job. And in the economic development department, similarly, we run these programs in partnership with the economic development department. So, you know, we've had a lot of support. This didn't start with a top down direction. It came as a result. Of staff conversations, but I've been really happy to see how many people have been eager to help us get to the goal of setting up a program for some of these small businesses. It's, um, our staff has been really impressed with the response from our sister agencies.
4: Something to note is that the Cannabis Microbusiness Loan Program is only for those microbusinesses that already have a license. It, it, it's a it's what Matt Munoz way calls way a it, catch 22.
1: Because you have to have your license first before they'll even consider your application and so anybody who's trying to raise the money to lease a building to do a build out who doesn't have their license they're just not eligible for it
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Growing Forward. If you're a fan of the podcast and you'd like to help us keep it going, please consider donating a couple of bucks by going to nmpoliticalreport.com. You should see a donate button at the top of the page, and you can also make a note on your donation that you're supporting the Growing Forward podcast.
4: Keep up with the show by following us on Instagram. Just search for Growing Forward. Thank you to Catherine Connolly for designing our logo and a big thanks to our producer Kevin McDonald for all of his tireless work.